Hello, this is Anja Steinbau from Philosophy Now magazine, bringing you today's Philosophy Now radio. Our topic is philosophy, lies and politics. You almost certainly recognize the opening music there as Little Lies by Fleetwood Mac. Little lies, bigger lies, white lies, deception and self-deception. Lies come in all forms, sizes and guises. But is it ever okay to lie? If so, who can tell a lie? When and why? To help me answer these and some related questions, I'm joined on the show by two philosophers. They are Shara Ali, who is a moral philosopher and my colleague at the London School of Philosophy, as well as a Green Party spokesperson. He also did his PhD on the theory of intentional deception and lying, which is a perfect uh, background, of course, for the show today. And my second guest is Piers Ben, a moral philosopher who lectures at Heathrow College London author of two books, including The Best Introduction to Ethics I've Ever Come Across. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hi. Okay, let's start off by homing in on what we're talking about here. Surely, that's not rocket science. What is a lie? Well, a lie is not telling the truth, most people would probably answer. Shara, is that correct? Well, it certainly is the case, I think, that lying is a particular kind of intentionally deceptive utterance, philosopher might call it. And really what it has to do with is trying to deceive the hearer, normally through speech. And I think one way of defining lying, which is quite useful to get get down at the outset, is what kind of an utterance is it? And normally when we're speaking, we tend to take it that we're, te we're speaking as we believe. And lying is asserting contrary to what you actually take the truth to be. Now, if you define it like that, it's clear that you can often be attempting to lie, but actually end up saying the truth, because you could be mistaken about what it is you believe. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. I think the important thing is that the intention of deception is the thing that we tend to want to have a moral view on. And if you think that truth is valuable or even invaluable, you're entitled to want to mind if somebody is deliberately trying to deceive you. And I think there's a lot going on there. If somebody's trying to deceive you, one of the things that they're often attempting is to control yes. how you act with either limited or partial information or less than full information. Yes. But there are other ways of intentionally deceiving without lying, which we might think are just as bad. So, for example, if I leave my packed bags outside for somebody to see, they might assume I'm going on holiday, whereas I'm doing yes. nothing of the sort. But I haven't lied. I haven't even made a statement. <laughs> but I have put them outside in order to intentionally deceive somebody. And you might think, well, is that any better? And I think really what's very interesting is that some philosophers, Kant in particular, have wanted to say that lying is particularly bad and we, want, we might want to stop short of doing that. And I think that's yes. what we need to explore, really. Right. Okay. So, so, so lying is one form of deception, is that right? But there are other forms. And So, Piers, would, would you agree with that definition? Well, I, I broadly agree with Shara's definition of lies. Um, lying is one form of deception. You can deceive by means of lies and you can deceive in various other ways too, such as by uh, concealment, non-disclosure, in certain contexts where one would expect the truth to be disclosed, um, by filibustering, by evasion. Um, I suppose you might add by silence, but that's more complex because sometimes you might have ju be justified in remaining silent about something where you are trying to protect somebody's confidentiality or privacy. But when it comes to lies as such, um, I think, broadly speaking, a lie is a verbal utterance that you believe to be false, uttered normally with the intention that the hearer should believe it to be true. 
Um, I say normally because if I said, for example, it is snowing outside, and it's clearly not, it's a summer day, um, nobody would think it was snowing just because I said so, and I wouldn't think anybody would think that. But it would still, I suppose, technically be a lie. It would just be a lie that didn't have the intention of deceiving. But uh, that's the sort of pedantic point. I mean, the normal case is that when you make a a statement that you, the speaker, believe to be false so that the hearer should believe it to be true as a result of hearing it. I think that's right, and there's two things going on there when you make an intentionally deceptive utterance which has that form of a lying utterance you're also deceiving the hearer that you take it to be true um but now we've mentioned also i've mentioned at the outset an example where you put your pack bags outside for somebody to see and that's non-linguistic but it might be useful to have an example also where somebody does make an utterance but it's non-lying and intentionally deceptive so for example if you ask me is your partner in the garden or in the kitchen and i say well she's not in the kitchen you know i say it like that then you're entitled to make the inference well she's in the garden because the way the question was put as a disjunction it's either a or b and i say it's not a therefore you say well it must be b now you've actually made that inference but i haven't lied in pulling that intentional deceptive utterance off and i think the question arises Mm. and i think there's a morally philosophical philosophically interesting question is is any is the non-lying intentional deception any better than the lying intentional deception and i think that's where some people have have said that i mean sidgwick for example had a famous utterance which is that um those who ask questions to which they have no right to hear to know the answer should expect to have lies told to them and i think it's important to define lying in a way which allows us to have that question which is if you define lying in a neutral way then it's okay to ask is lying justified but some have wanted to define lying in a way in which it's automatically something which you're not entitled to do therefore if and when you're justified in intentionally deceiving somebody it's not a lie but i don't think that's a very useful way of proceeding i think okay to say and we can understand what uh neutrally speaking a lie is as a linguistic utterance and then move on from there to say that are there circumstances in which it's justified to lie or not Right. And uh, coming back to, to the Sidwin, I mean, that's, that's an interesting one. So, so uh, really, we should be paying attention to what, what we're asking and what sort of information we want to get from people and uh, what we're actually entitled to, to receive. Is, is, is that well, the idea? Again, the problem there is, is that um, views may differ on whether or not you're entitled to this information. So, for example, if I'm putting in a freedom of information request, yes. um, I would take it that the, the state or some other government body has a duty to comply with that request for information, even yes. though it might be inconvenient and they might have a special interest, so they think, in withholding that information because it might expose something which they don't want exposed. But I think okay. at the heart of this, then, is our access to information. And you might say there's a presumption yes. that we should have access to this information unless it can be demonstrated that um, there is a clear lack of interest, public interest in, in this disclosure, which yes. is why we have a lot of controversy these days doing the rounds about when whistleblowing is mm. a legitimate mm. ac- yes. a- exercise. Absolutely, but in non-formal context it's very difficult because we haven't got a proper framework for, for you know, what, what are we actually entitled to ask, you know, in principle we just ask the question, we see whether we get an answer, but we don't necessarily expect to be told a lie. Yes, that's right. I mean, if somebody asks me a question that I think intrudes upon my privacy, such as how much money do I have in the bank, um, I, I might just say, well, that's none of your business. Yes. And that's well, not a lie, that's just concealment. And yeah, of a non-deceptive sense. kind. Yes. Right, but I think, again, that shows up how it might be quite useful to have another form of intentional deception without having to lie. Because mm. in a way, you're saying, 
generally speaking, we want to have a high threshold against lying because there are lots of things in society which rely upon truth. Just the actual practice of speaking yeah. a language yeah. means, you know, we want to be able to rely upon truth in general. Therefore, it does make sense, other things being equal, to have a way of lying which doesn't resort, having intentional deception without having to yes. lie. And yes. so you yeah. can think yeah. of many ways in which, you know, you may be embarrassed being asked that question about, you know, what's your bank balance, Piers? I don't yes. really want to know. But the thing is, is that <laughs> if, sure you were, if you were to say, well, I'm not sure whether my bank is still solvent, yeah. okay, maybe you haven't lied about yes. your bank balance, but you've deflected attention away from the question. Right. Yes, I could say, your question presupposes that my bank is still solvent. So I might give the impression <laughs> that, I, that I suspect it's not solvent when I know perfectly well that it is. Yes. So you can, you can uh, deflect and you can sow suspicions that are unjustified without actually lying. Yes, yeah. yes, that, that's probably yeah. the better solution. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so we've talk, talked about um, you know, ways of, of, of telling lies. We've also talked about various forms of deception. There is a particular kind of deception that, that sort of puzzles me a little bit, and that is the kind of thing that people refer to as a self-deception, because yeah. normally yeah. Uh, deception yeah. relies on, yeah. on the situation being such that you have information that the person you're planning to deceive <laughs> doesn't have. Uh, but of mm. course, when, mm. when, you know, in the case of self-deception, well, yeah. you're the same person, so you can't sort of just forget a certain, a certain information and then you know, sort of lie to yourself about this. Uh, what, what, what is self-deception? Is that a real kind of deception or is, is, is something it's else? It's a very really? curious phenomenon because it's clearly real. I mean, we do deceive ourselves in various ways, but some uh, people think it's a deep paradox. I mean, Jean-Paul Sartre, for example, thought yes. it was impossible because for the reason you've just given, it requires the deceiver and the deceived to mm -hmm. be the same person. So how can you uh, both know that something's the case in order to be able to do the act of deception, but then if the act of deception is successful, you've got to end up not knowing. So yes. that implies you both know and don't know something to be true. And I think that most standard ways out of that sort of uh, paradox emphasize... Um, various strategies we can employ. For example, you might deliberately set in motion a process that will end up with your forgetting something inconvenient. So you might deliberately direct your attention away from certain uncomfortable facts. So the, the sort of standard example might be, you suspect that your partner is cheating on you, but you don't want to know that. Yes. And so you deliberately avoid looking in areas or looking for evidence that would lead you to the conclusion that she was. Or, uh, and then of course you end up, the point is you end up believing it. Even yes. so, it, it doesn't quite solve the problem because no. in order to know to deflect your attention from something you must know there's something there that if you attended to it would um, upset your convictions so some sort of double think is going on but it's yes. very hard to unpick ah, double think i think double that's, think. that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's yes. a really good one so yes. so um well self-deception is not likely to be a hundred percent successful yeah. is it although i suppose some people are very very good at it and and that yeah but the way you explain it mm. is very plausible so so you you magnify certain things about yourself or your situation mm. that 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 you like and mm. you you know you, you want to be true mm. you wish to be true and other things that you you also know to be true but that are undesirable yeah. you sort of try to 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 minimize or you try to say well that's not actually so important mm. uh, and and mm. so you take it well it's a sort of certain way of spin doctoring uh, with respect to your own life isn't it yes it is and i think there are psychological experiments that suggest that in a very curious way we can both know and not know the same fact at the same time and there are pheno there's pheno the phenomenon of blindsight for example which is slightly different where you apparently don't report any subjective visual sensations and yet you know where something is by pointing it out with your yes. hands uh, which you have to pick up by means of your eyes and maybe something like that is going on with self-deception it's not a straightforward point of um it's not straightforward ignorance because yes. you know how to avoid the facts which suggests that at some level you know what the facts are yes 
if I may just add to this, this very good um, opening on, on self-deception, I think what you have to bear in mind is that even the person who's lying and even the way we've defined it, he knows that what he's saying is false, according to him, he's then trying to pull off what is essentially a mentally conflicted state. Mm. And one of the ways, one of the problems and the harms associated, we normally focus on the harm to the person deceived in terms of having their options controlled. But there is also prospective harm to the deceiver. And one of them is particularly self-deception. Because if you carry on repeating a lie sufficiently, you might end up unconsciously or consciously believing it. And I think the real way of trying to square this circle is that people, particularly post-Freudian, we talk about the unconscious. And also different personalities and roles that people adopt. So, yes, they can end up somehow bracketing aside certain beliefs they might hold in their better moments, philosophical or or ultimately moral set of beliefs, and try in a a different role or a different context, trying to pull off this different persona. And unfortunately, that's very common, and as we may get on to later, how politicians potentially pull off self-deceptions. We can see that there's that risk of mental conflict and ultimately denial and i would say that denial is very it's ubiquitous yeah yes. and yeah. and people are do can succumb to it it's a kind of a weakness of will yes. uh, wishful thinking all the rest of yeah. it so i think mm. that i think it's undeniable that self-deception is one of those things that we need to try and overcome even the delphic or- oracle know thyself there's yes. an assumption there that it isn't easy mm. it sometimes requires quite a lot of work to find work out what you actually believe Yes, actually, it requires a lot of work, doesn't it? I mean, it's 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 always because you say it's weakness of the will, and, and morally speaking, perhaps it is. But it's it's a, it's a very strong act of will as well to push something away and and to to, to bring something else to to the fore. Um, Jean Paul Sartre, to come back to to yeah. Piers who mentioned yeah. um, um, Sartre of course believed that uh, this kind of self-deception uh, constituted basically what, what he was thinking uh, about when he talked about bad faith. Yes. And uh, he, in, in one of his plays, The Flies, he makes it very clear um, how, how this connection that Tara just mentioned uh, works between deceiving others and deceiving ourselves, where in this play, the arch deceiver you know, consider, constantly repeats this particular lie. Mm-hmm. To, uh, to the people and, and then sort of buys into it himself and, and sort of loses what actually uh, is the truth. But perhaps there's also a problem with the truth. I mean, can we really have a, a sober, uh, objective, a well-balanced view of, of what is true, especially of ourselves and, and, and our own situation? That's not as easy as it sounds. No, I mean, I think what's, I would say that what's ultimately behind our propensity to not lie or not want others not to lie to us is the value of truth but i think notoriously it's the case that people can differ on that i would want to say that there are two kinds of people you know up and down the country as <laughs> we speak mm-hmm. people may be quarreling within their relationships tell me the truth mm-hmm. i want to know it even if it hurts me and others may say uh, i don't want to know yes. even though i know in some sense it might hurt me i don't want to know so people can have a different attitude towards the what i might want to call the value of truth, and I think that's actually what can essentially drive their propensity to want to know, yes. um, warts and all. Yes, I think some people don't show a very great attachment to the value of truth. I mean, it's very tempting just to say whatever suits, and this leads to another concept um, used sometimes here, which is the, the concept of bullshitting. If I can use this this word, I mean, yes, uh, it's become a it's become, term. A, become a technical <laughs> term. Yes, I mean, there's a, a well-known American philosopher, Harry Frankfurt, who wrote an essay of bullshit, um, and in which he says that very often when we accuse politicians and estate agents and spin doctors of lying, they're not actually lying; they're actually bullshitting. What he means by this is that they've forgotten 
that the purpose of speech is to convey truth, and they simply say whatever is suitable, not even by that time knowing that they're not speaking the truth because they've forgotten what truth is. I don't quite uh, agree with Frankfurt, actually. I think these people are lying, but I think what he has done is introduce a different sort of motive. You just forget that what you're expected to be doing when you talk is speak the truth. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is a difficult analysis, and I, w- I yeah. would disagree with it, because yeah. I think the aims of politics are much more noble. Yeah. And <laughs> to almost uh, bracket it aside and call it, this is a kind of form of BS speech, is yeah. to almost like excuse it as within that context of operation. Yeah, I, I think the opposite is the case. Yeah. I would rather go for, I know you won't BSing me, Pierce, that's no, okay. No, no, no. So um, I think the thing is, if we go back to the noble politicians, even Thomas Jefferson, Right. Who who argued uh, at one point? Um, if it were up to me to prefer a government without newspapers and newspaper, uh, sorry, a government without newspapers and newspapers without government, um, I wouldn't hesitate a moment to prefer the latter. So he understands the value of a free press in contesting, as does J.S. Mill, the truth yes. to actually somehow make that active, and he sees that as both intrinsically important, but also instrumentally highly consequential in terms of an active democracy. And I think we're right to rail against deceptive utterances in politics and in public life generally. Mm. And I wouldn't want to sort of bracket it inside and say, look, here's a form of kind of specialised speech and we we can let him get away with it. Yes. Okay. Well, well, we'll have to we'll have to come back to that. I want to come back to to, to politics a little later, and I would like to pick up uh, on that point and also on on BS speech. Uh, let Let me just um, give you a little example to sort of warm us up about uh, about the the lying thing. And this is really. Uh, about sort of intentionally telling lies. No, you know, nobody wants to be called a liar, obviously, but uh, it's, it's not, not a very good label to, to carry. And yet, you know, is there really anyone who hasn't ever told a lie, even a tinsy winsy one? Hmm. Um, well, here's a tame example. Imagine a friend of yours is wearing her new skirt and she asks you the fatal question, <coughs> does my backside look a little bit big in this? And well, you think it does. Um, what are you going to say? <laughs> Not sure I've ever been <laughs> asked I'd such like a question. Answer. Maybe what? people yeah, don't ask. Uh, I might, well, I mean, I, I probably would uh, somehow deflect in some way or say, say, ask an irrelevant question. I mean, there are all sorts of things you can, ways of avoiding answering. Yeah, but I mean, what, what, yeah. what you would normally do is say, well, you look great, yeah, or I like yes. your tie when you don't like the boss's tie or whatever. Yes. This is called the white lie. Yeah. And, uh, or, or, yeah, yeah. or it's a kind of paternalistic lie, and we come across quite a lot of these. There's a medicinal lie as well. It's a paternalistic lie you can lie to children because yeah, maybe yeah. they don't have full rationality, not old mm. enough to understand something. Yeah, you know, yeah. They might, ask, might want to ask something to which, you know, really you might find it's sort of morally corrupting, so you kind of tell them something as a kind of a, yes. a placeholder. Yes. So a white lie also is, it's supposed to be a kind of a justified lie. Well, um, yeah. To say that, you know, the 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 benefits of 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 saying that are such that you don't upset, you know, social relations potentially, and you don't upset them for no good reason. And I think it begs the question. I assume the thing yeah. it's meant to prove, which is that, yeah, yeah. is it actually more important just to tell the truth and say, well, actually, yes. people can get by with telling the truth. In that situation, they might change um, what they're wearing and all the rest of it. But I think that. Clearly, many forms of social contact do rely upon low-level yes. sort of deceptive utterance, cool. Cool. and and we kind of let that pass. Yes. And I think the most important form of it might be either medicinal lying, where you can say, hang on, the doctor has a duty which overrides that of truth-telling in this circumstance, right. because if he were to tell that person exactly what their prognosis was, mm. um, this might negatively impact upon their um, you know, improvement. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and Piers, Piers oh, well, would agree that well, uh, indeed, social I mean, lie, it's, it's... Yes, well, I used to teach medical ethics, and I, I well, talked about well, this subject a lot with oh, various yes. doctors. Well, and we come back to the med- we come, we medical to, thing. Well, but, well, yes, okay, but when it comes to social lies, yes, I think that um, people who tell the truth all the time, especially people who are candid, don't have many friends. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see oh, why. Nice. Nobody... I mean, there are all sorts of ways in which you can tactfully avoid lying without actually um, um, sort of hurting the person's uh, feelings or, or, or those things. You can change the subject. You can talk about something else. You can make a joke of it. These are also, I mean, lying actually is a kind of social skill. It may not be a very good one, but some parents might worry about mm. children who can't lie because they might be afraid they are, say, on the autistic spectrum, where that's supposed to be a symptom oh. of it. So you know, it, it, yeah. We'll have, 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 have to have to come back yes. to, to to the the moral aspect yes. of it. I wonder whether ethics doesn't have to yeah. uh, say a little bit more about this. But but now for now, it's uh, time for a little music break. It's been very easy finding music for the show. Mm. Um, you're spoiled for choice when you're looking for songs about lies. Hmm, I wonder why. Um, anyway, here is Lies by McFly.
Philosophy Now Radio on Resonance FM. My name is Anja Steinbauer and together with my guests, Piers Ben and Shara Ali, I'm trying to find out if it's ever okay to lie. We've already started talking about a certain kind of lie, kind of lie that's morally justified or seems morally justified, something we might call a white lie, a lie that is either thought to be insignificant or in the best interests of the person being lied to. I once read somewhere that the most common lie parents tell their children is that when the ice cream van plays its tune, it means they've run out of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> so should parents be bad about such lies? Uh Yes, lying to children is a difficult one, isn't it? Because a lot depends on the child's level of understanding. And there are also lies that are socially accepted and generally thought as part, a normal part of growing up, like believing in Santa Claus. Because the thought is that once a child's old enough to understand that Santa Claus is a, is a myth, then, then the child will immediately understand that, it, that he is a myth. Yes. Uh, it won't be. I mean, no, no sort of child of sufficient understanding will go on thinking that there's Santa Claus. Other examples include um, more um, touchy and difficult issues like religion or politics. Yes. Um, But I think that I don't like the idea of lying to children because it should be it should be possible on the whole to tell children things in a simple enough way that according to their level of understanding, which direct them in the appropriate direction without actually teaching them to, to lie. And of course, children imitate their parents, yes. and you can only expect them to tell lies if they discover that their parents have told lies. Yes. But these are different. I don't know. I mean, there are di there are tricky cases. Uh, I, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I, I would I would agree. I mean, there's this the strange thing that on on the one hand, you know, one one of the first things we teach our children. You have to tell the truth, you know, don't tell lies. And on the other hand, you know, there are all these lies, yeah, but, yeah. which seem to be sort of part of, of childhood, almost, that, that parents do tell their yeah, children, course, including yeah. Santa and, and yeah. the Tooth Fairy and so on. Yes, yes. I mean, I did once have a moral dilemma. I, I found a, a dead cat, unfortunately, and I phoned the, the number on the collar, and I got through to a young girl. Mm. And um, I wanted to speak to her parents, they weren't in, and she knew, I could hear it in her voice, that she was fearing the worst about her cat, oh. her lost cat. Yeah. And I tried to console her, and in so doing I told her. Yes. And nearly got into trouble with the parents, but they came round and they were, you know, they found the cat and they were able to draw, you know, get some closure, so to speak. But you can see the difficulty there because yes. maybe the parents had better access in terms of the, the psychology of their child, and they thought that that was a piece of information that they would want to impart. Mm. But at the same time, sure. I think we mustn't underestimate the capacity of children to actually hear the truth. I think it's quite extraordinary how good they are at hearing the truth. And you know, we do plunge them yes. into very morally real situations, like being on the receiving end of bombs that were raining in foreign lands. So I think, you know, I think it's up to us to actually let them see what's going on. I mean, Bush famously argued that you shouldn't let the children watch the TV screens in case the very bombs that he was raining on foreign lands upset them. But, right. you know, they're raining on children. And I think yes, that actually yes. that's part of our better understanding of what's going on in the world and what we're morally responsible for. So I would say that, you know, I think there should be a presumption for telling the truth and not yes. to underestimate, I think, children's ability to, to hear, hear what's going on. Yes. Yes. There's also a question of a practical question of timing, uh, timing when you tell the truth, and that applies, I suppose, in the case of parents and children, as it does in more obvious cases like uh, doctors and nurses. It may well be that you, you've decided the recipient is to know the truth because that's the right thing to tell them, and they have a right to it. But now is not the time uh, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, they may not be in, a, in a, a fit mental state, or they may not be properly sort of attentive to it. So yes. it may be necessary. I think it, it would be. 
if a misdemeanor at all, it would be a fairly minor one to tell a lie just to postpone the moment when you tell the truth. But you should avoid that if possible. Yes, I mean, but, because it's a paternalistic thing yes, to do, isn't it? Yes. With children, of course, you can be paternalistic. Well, you have to be because yes. they are children, especially when they're very young. Uh, but but in, in the case of doctors and patients, uh, there's, there's something else going yeah. on. You know, it really affects the doctor-patient relationship. And of course, you know, yes. medical experts have yes. information and therefore power, yes. uh, you know, over, over their patients. Well, that's sense. something which is much discussed. I mean, um, it's often said, probably more or less truly that over the last 50 years or so there's been a shift away from a paternalistic model of the yes. doctor-patient relationship to one that's more centered upon the autonomy of the patient and the autonomy of the patient would normally require the patient to be told whatever truth the patient wants to know if a patient says i don't want to know then yes. you know it's intrusive to make them know it that you just get on with it but you have to assume that patients might want to know and give them a chance to know if they want to now here the question is what what is the counter's deception a doctor might think, well, as long as I didn't lie to the patient, as long as I didn't say you haven't got cancer when you have, it doesn't matter if I don't mention the fact that the scan revealed a cancer. Yes. But I think most of us would think that is a form of, of unjustified deception because they're the context when the patient would expect the truth to be known if the truth were known by the doctor. Yes. And the doctor who does yes. know it and doesn't tell is being deceptive and um, unjustifiably so, even though he or she is not lying. Well, I mean, another category, if I may, of very important um, attempts at justified lying are self-defence, um, self in self-defence. Yes. And yes. There was a, there's a great debate um, which started in 1797. Kant wrote a paper on the supposed right to lie from benevolent yes. motives. Yes. So we're talking about the great Enlightenment philosopher yes. Immanuel Kant, OK? Yes. And he got into great trouble um, in this correspondence with Benjamin Constance, who said to him, look, um, you're committed, aren't you, and Kant agreed with this, to having to tell the murderer who comes to your door where you're hiding his victim, i.e. in your house. You're committed to that. And he said, well, yes, I am, because if, unbeknownst to me, the, the victim sort of fled and I told um, the murderer a lie, I would then be partially responsible or co-responsible for um, the murderer running into the person that I was sheltering. Um, and that's almost like a consequentialist justification for why you shouldn't yes. lie in that circumstance. But I think the main reason why Kant thinks you shouldn't lie or mustn't lie is that there's an absolute prohibition against it. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether he's really committed to that. And I think more charitably, um, you could say, well... You can lie, and even Kant might want to argue that you can lie yeah, in that circumstance, yeah, because yeah. why else would you be hiding the person? So the murderer then, this is a case yes. of lying in self-defence or def defending somebody else, is not entitled to that information. So mm. go back to Sidgwick. Ah, yes. Those who ask questions yes. to which they have yes. no right to hear the answer should expect to have lies told to them. Right. Mm. So you're, you're not actually duty-bound to impart or reveal information which is going to harm um, the person that you're protecting, or even yourself. And that there is a kind of implicit understanding that the usual rules wouldn't apply in that circumstance. So whether you say that you're entitled then to deceive without resorting to lie, or you may as well just lie, barefaced, because that's mm. more reliable yes. in its yeah. effect, yes. well maybe you then have, ironically, a duty or moral obligation to lie in that circumstance, yes. because yes. you're more likely to be able to pull it off, That's assuming that you're not bad at lying. Well that's, that yes. sounds good yes. to me, but yes. uh, so, so, you know, what, what is generally well known is that Emmanuel Kant is the guy who says well, you should mm. never lie under no mm. circumstance because there is there is there is a, an absolute value uh, in the moral principle itself, uh, the the prohibition of, of lying. And if you water it down, then you know it, it begins mm. to to be meaningless. If you if you sort of say, well, you know, it's a good rule, but it's kind of optional. Then then you know it be, be, 
becomes eventually quite meaningless. So, so when we talk about this this idea of well, who's entitled to to that information? Would would Kant have some some sort of framework for for making that kind of decision? Or uh, well, I take it that Kant uh, Kant's main objection to lying. Uh, per se, is that all of us are rational, autonomous beings, and that if you tell somebody a lie, you are in fact subverting their autonomy by, for example, giving them reasons to act uh, which really reflect your will and don't reflect their own will. Yes. So that would be m manipulative lies, lies where you try to uh, tap into somebody's actual principles and give them a piece of false information so they act on their own principles but not knowing the truth about a situation. But of course, he, he comes unstuck with examples like the one Shara mentioned. Yes. The notorious essay on a supposed right to lie from altruistic motives. I don't ha I'm not entirely sure myself that Kant did think this, though it is a view attributed to him, so let's just assume he did. Um, clearly, in a situation like that, as, as Shara says, you've concealed the victim, the potential victim in the first place. Uh, you, nobody says you should actually sort of say bring a victim out to the murderer. That's, you don't have to go that far. <laughs> yes. um, so, um, you know, normally you might, you might be able to feign deafness or you might just refuse to answer or say the police are after you or you might even try to attack the person at the door. Um, well, yeah, you know, I mean, people have tried to elaborate in his example in terms of the, the conflict, um, the, uh, the fate of, of Kant's thinking here. And one way of, of, if you like, reconciling it is to say, well, look, if Kant were to say he's not here but to put his foot forward as if to sort of designate a spot in front of him and in his mind he's kind of designated the spot in front of him mm. but the hearer doesn't know that he just assumes by here you mean in the house right. so Kant uh, yes, by yes, so yes, doing yes, would yes, not yes. really have lied he wouldn't have said contrary to what he believes yes. but what he believes at that yes. point is not really transparent so I think yes. we really have to ask at that point this is actually quite um, analogous to mm. a Catholicist tradition of mental say. reservation yes, because there's very that, little yeah. difference between at that yeah. point putting your foot forward yes, and just yes. bracketing in your mind the yes. thought by which I mean directly in front of me but you haven't actually uttered it so yes, really yes. the, oh, the utterance is deceptive either way and really you want to ask at that point and I think that you know in contemporary society yeah. um, we would want to say is there really any difference manipulatively Yes. between barefaced lying and yes. misleading the person or, or stopping short of lying but making an, an intentionally deceptive utterance which is bound to achieve that result. I mean, why is that yes. so much better? And I think yeah. that's the interesting point. I think yes. it really is. It appears no, I think that's right. And I think that you're right to mention mental reservation. As far as I can work it out, it's where you say something... Um, with a clear intent to deceive, but you say it in such a way that it could be true in some other way, in a way that you don't want your hearer to understand or acknowledge as being the truth. So if you say, um, if it, I mean, if to get married in church, let's say, with your fingers crossed behind your back, mm. you make promises. I mean, obviously you've made the promises. You've, you've <laughs> yeah. made, and, and a lying promise is, by the way, a promise. Somebody who makes yes. a, a promise insincerely has made a promise. This is really important. Well, you, you can't say I never meant it. Yes, no, you're right. Yes. It's a speech act. Yes. I think what is interesting, though, just not to... Not essentially to argue for this as such, but to say, you know, put something in its favour. The point about mental reservation really is to avoidance of mental conflict, which is, we've already drawn attention to that. The importance that there should be, if you like, a consistency between what you think and what you say. Yeah. Now, at the very least, you want to avoid the conflict within by telling yourself, I didn't really mean what I said just now to yes. myself. Yes. Mm. And so you're, it's yeah. a kind of a self-respect, actually, to say that yeah. this non-lying is especially important in the domain I have most control over, which is my own thoughts. Yes. 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 Hmm, okay, inter interesting. I mean, this, the, I think this is an, an interesting case where really, you know, as, as, as you both said, you're, you're kind of walking the line. I mean, if, if, you, if you sort of know that you know what the other person is really asking you is not really what you what you're answering then then you know that's 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 uh, very close to uh, to, to not being truthful yeah. um 
I, I would just just like uh, like to ask you about um, about something else about uh, some, something that comes out of Cicela Box book, um, a very good book on lying, lying, uh, moral choice in public and private life. Um, when she says, well, she says many interesting things in it, but amongst other things, she says, well, when we have to decide about whether to tell a lie or not, uh, then perhaps, you know, the, the, the way to find out whether lying can be a good thing is to introduce something like a test of publicity. It's not, in fact, a test we can do, but we can imagine it as a thought experiment, uh, basically asking, you know, with any given lie, would the person being lied to actually prefer the truth or, or the lie that they're be, being told? Well, it might be the case that the person will prefer the truth, but for some other reason they have no right to it. Uh, maybe the way to put the question is to ask whether I would accept that I should be lied to in those circumstances. So suppose, for example, that I've, um, I'm, uh, I'm in a brief psychotic episode and I ask a question uh, to which the true answer would lead me to jump off a cliff. Um, but now I might say now, I'm not psychotic now, but I'm prone to these episodes, so I now accept that should I fall into this psychotic episode again, and I ask this question, yes. certainly someone should lie to me. Yes. I mean, nobody should actually uh, tell, me a, tell me a truth that will lead me to suicide. Yes. So I might accept that. And again, it, uh, not everybody would accept that, so maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But I think the... I mean, the, the general golden rule, I mean, that on the whole, bearing various qualifications, you should do as you would be done by, is a reasonably good one to live by, because there are circumstances when most of us can accept that we should at least temporarily be deceived. Uh, but not normally. Yeah, but that I mean, the golden rule m means that you you take yourself as as an analogy, you know, for for others. And uh, is this really so? Our, our own preferences necessarily necessarily those of others. You know, maybe there are others who are sort of you know mentally stronger mm. than I am, yep. where I'm I'm sort of happy to be lied to. Mm. Someone else says, no, no, give me the truth. I can take mm. it. I think this is absolutely mm. the right question, and I think you could modify this golden rule, so called, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, do unto others as you would ha would they should do unto you. And I think that the difficulty of mm. trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and said, well, what would I be like if it was their situation? Would I want to hear this information? Is that you're assuming too much? And if you think that, if you remember at the beginning, I was saying there's kind of essentially two kinds of people, those who want to hear the truth no matter what the consequences and those who would rather avoid the truth, mm. there is an answer to that question. It's no good just being a moral relativist about it, so would I, so I say, and you know, leave it down to the person's subjective mental state. What you want to be able to say is that the, some, some of these people in that category are right to want to know the truth and other people mm. who want to avoid it are actually mistaken they don't know what's in their interest but i'm going to tell them anyway now mm. even if you don't buy that the ultimate solution to this is through personal autonomy and freedom and so there would should be a presumption in telling that person information even if you think that they're not in the right psychological frame of mind to hear it yes especially when you know that they do want to hear it come what may as soon as possible you mm. are potentially obliged to tell them now that's even more obvious where these individuals say have a role responsibility to tell you so for yes. example if the government produces yeah. a dodgy dossier which ah. is like recirculating p facts about somebody's phd as if it's intelligence material mm. they're actually lying in every sense of the word because when you author a paper and you say this is intelligence material you're identifying it with a particular source yes. and lending that material credibility you're effectively lying in every sense yes. in the word it's a kind of plagiarism mm. which is passing off somebody else's work as your own and embellishing it and mm. giving it spin at the same time mm. so in those situations where you have a duty as the government who are supposed to be your servant as such to impart information dutifully and you're not just concealing it but you're bastardizing if i may use that word the expression where we use the word bs earlier so th then you're actually failing in your duty and i think it's very clear in public life that you can't do that 
Right. Yes, and okay, I think that we a lot of what has been said there could be captured by using a, a virtue term, say honesty. So you might say, what does the honest person do? Now, oh. does honesty always require us to avoid lies, but not always require us to avoid other forms of deception? Possibly. Does it always require us to be candid? No, definitely not. I'm not obliged to tell people everything I think about them. That would be the ruin of social life. Yes. Ah, and we'll come back to uh, lies in politics, which uh, Shara has so nicely uh, led us towards after we've had another song. And here is Tears of Clown by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. This is Philosophy Now Radio on Resonance FM. I'm Anja Steinbauer. I'm joined by philosophers Shara Ali and Piers Ben. We're discussing lies and deception. Well, let's talk about lies and politics. Philosophers, you'd think, are the ones who have a passionate, almost obsessive interest in the truth. And yet, it is one of the greatest philosophers the world has ever seen, Plato, who tells us that, and I quote, 
The rulers of the state are the only persons who ought to have the privilege of lying, either at home or abroad. They may be allowed to lie for the good of the state. So what's going on here? So the truth is good, but lies are also good. Piers, can you shed some light on this? Well, I take it the um, origin of the the idea of political lying in Plato is the idea of the noble lie, um, as it's sometimes mm-hmm. translated. In, in my book, it's translated the magnificent myth, oh, which nice. is perhaps a nice little spin on it. <laughs> but the, origi- the, the, the origin of the idea is that the rulers decide which of the ordinary working people mate with whom, I mean, who, who marries whom. And yes. they are to be told that it's a sort of natural, lo- it's a lottery or something. But in fact, the rulers have rigged it so that the right people mate with the right uh, you know, the right partners. It's all, it's all being decided for them by the rulers, but they're to believe it hasn't been. And that's one example of it. And the, the sort of the paternalistic lie, the lie that is uh, justified by the uh, good effects it has on those lied to. It's also a nationalist lie, isn't it? That, that so, so, so sort of uh, commits citizens to, to be loyal to the state. Yes. But again, I think Plato's idea, I mean, to the extent he believes it at all, because don't forget it's a, a mythical state he's inventing. Indeed. But the idea is paternalism. And you, yes. you lie, but it's only justified for the benefit of those lied to. And not, it's not justified if it's, if it's for the benefit of the rulers. It must be paternalistic in the proper sense of the word. Right. Shara, what do you think? Is it well, ever okay Plato, for politicians to lie? Plato was, was clearly wrong on that one. It's, <laughs> it's elitist and it's unjustified. Um, really, if we, if we think back to, well, there's a great saying, speaking truth to power. Mm. And often, you know, we actually cede a lot of de facto power in terms of the use of an army, um, the ability to coerce us into paying our taxes on pain of going to prison, yes. to the state. And they have enough power as it is, and so they need to use that judiciously. And we need to make sure that they're doing that, and our main access to that is true and honest revelation of, of information at a, in a timely fashion. So when we look, for example, infamously of, of Blair going to war, war in Iraq, which is particularly resonant at the moment in terms of what's going on there, and whether he was a contributing factor to that, we are rightly concerned about whether we went to war on a false basis, that he himself knew that there was no credible basis for it. And I think we need to make an important distinction at this point, which I don't think has been made yet, between sincerity Ah. and honesty. And uh, sincerity, well, honesty in the largest sense, sincerity and truth-telling. Because basically, Blair can say, and he has in fact said back in 2003, he said, I may be wrong in believing it, but I still believe it. <laughs> well, that's no kind of reassurance worthy mm. of the name. We want yeah. our politicians to be empirical. We want them to be fallibilists, not infallibilists. That is to say that yeah. they could be deeply mistaken about what they think and they want to be corrected so in this case we want to say that Blair should have known better and the fact that he's even prepared to admit I may be wrong in my belief but I still believe it I'm sorry but it's in the job of a belief for you to want to take it to take how the world is actually as it is. Can you say say again so so sincerity differs from... Well he Blair, I'm not denying his sincerity at that point. I think that he's being sincere and it's very revealing that even there was a a very good journalist at that point who teased that out of him a bit like a a therapist so I may be wrong Uh, in believing it but I still believe it. That's not good enough. At that point alarm bells. Because it was consistent with his beliefs so that's that's why it was sincere. Yeah but exactly alarm bells should have been ringing at that Mm. point because hey wait a minute you may you're admitting you may be wrong in what you believe but you still believe it almost like a proselytizer we don't want that we want you to believe in accordance with the probability yes so it's no good switching from weapons of mass destructions as the Mm. as the kind of the basis for your belief to 
evidence of weapons of mass destruction program related activities. Right. You can see how that is a much more difficult thing to actually identify when you couldn't find the very first thing. So yeah. it's almost as if you're believing in this thing at all costs and that isn't That's a good basis for belief. But we've moved on quite interestingly here in our discussion, haven't we? Because we started off defining a lie as, as uh, you know, some, something that uh, differs from what you believe to be true. But, but now we're actually, uh, we're putting the bar a little bit higher and we're saying, well, but you know, you actually have to be quite self-critical with respect to your beliefs and you can't just believe anything. Uh, but if you really want, want, to, uh, want, want to avoid lying uh, and you want to be truthful, then, then your belief have, have, beliefs have to be well-founded. Yes, and if you are interested in believing the truth um, and not just believing anything that comes to your head, that means you have to be sensitive to reasoning, to argument and evidence. Yes. Um, otherwise, you might as well... Uh, you might just not be aware of it. You might be like as George W. Bush was supposed to have been. He's supposed to have relied on his gut about the invasion of Iraq. And one of the senators said, look, Mr. Bush, where was the evidence? And he said... I trust my gut. I trust my gut. Uh, in that case, he's just being intellectually irresponsible, even though he may not, not have known he was being. Maybe he really thought that his gut was a reliable guide to the truth. But I think that what, the, the genius of what Tony Blair said, as quoted by Shara, is that on the one hand, he's a cynical construction anyway, on the one hand, he comes over as a man of conviction. I still believe it. So you can trust me. I mean, I'm not a ditherer. Um, on the other hand, he's not only not a ditherer, but he's also somebody who's very acutely aware that he could be wrong, as indeed we all could be, strictly speaking. Well, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, he, yeah. he says, in that context, he says that he could be wrong, but he doesn't give it the weight that yeah, it requires, he, because he's no, getting the countervailing yeah. evidence, but yes. in spite of this, he's yeah. persisting in his belief. And so... That it's not that, I wouldn't even say at that point that he's lying as such. He is self-deceived though. And then you can see that the negative consequences oh. of self-deception right. are just as great as yeah. if he had lied. So yeah. sincerity doesn't really cut it in politics. No. It's mm. good belief making. It's the yeah. cognitive virtue, if you like, of knowing how to select relevant information from right. irrelevant information, knowing how to... How many times do people go to war on the basis of face-saving? Yes. So what mm. we're faced here, going back to character and the mm. psychology of the situation and the power of denial, yeah. is hubris. People talk mm. about hubris in politics, people who maybe go to war because they want to save face. I mean, you've got your armies amassed there mm. on the border. It would look stupid to bring them back. But that's contrary to just war methodology in particular, mm -hmm. just mm. war tradition, which is that, well, hang on, that's not a last resort. It's not a last resort sure. to say it would look stupid to bring them back. No. <laughs> but it would, it might well save civilian, innocent civilian, yes. if you didn't do that. Yes. So I think that, you know, it would be great if we had that reckoning with truth in that manner. Right. So, so, yes. so there's there's a really there's a high level uh, commitment uh, that the, that uh, that politicians should uh, recognise uh, in, in terms of you know checking facts and and you know and working out probabilities so mm. to come up with, with the best basis on which to, to form beliefs and uh, and then to act on on those that that makes good sense. Um, the question is perhaps also whether we can really avoid lies in politics altogether. Hannah Arendt mm. uh, and I would really love to bring her in at this point has a very interesting argument where where. She she says, you know, she's a great political philosopher of the 20th century, very interesting in her comments on the totalitarianism uh, of, of the 20th century. Um, she, she says, well, on the whole, you know, lying has always been there in politics, but it really depends on the political environment and the kind of lie. And she says, well, you know, if, if, if someone sort of distorts the truth, then someone else will come in and say, oh, well, look, this isn't quite right. And on the whole, this kind of lie just a sort of contributes to a pluralism in politics, in, a little bit in the sense that uh, perhaps John Stuart Mill might have said mm. that, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier. But she says the real problem is the totalitarian lie. The totalitarian lie is one that it, you cannot 
critique because, you know, as a citizen, you lack the tools for actually re- recognizing that, si- that there's something wrong because, because you can't think outside this totalitarian yeah. line. So it, yeah. it really undermines um, uh, everything, truth in, 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 uh, in the widest sense. Yeah. Uh, and th- that damage is, is much greater. Uh, would, would you agree with that? Yes, I think I would. I think that uh, well, what people mean, meant by totalitarianism when the term was invented was the, the idea of the total state, the state yes. that gets into every aspect of what we usually regard as our private lives. And so in communist Czechoslovakia, for example, Václav Havel, who became the president but was then a dissident playwright, he talked about the inability of people in that state to live in truth. That became a sort of mantra, by which he meant not just uh, avoiding lying to people, but that in a certain sense everything was a lie, and even the liars knew that it was and acquiesced in it. And so, I mean, I, I went to Czechoslovakia several times after communism, shortly after it collapsed. What was remarkable is that apparently nobody was ever a communist. Now, possibly a few people were, and they just were lying low. But the idea was that everybody just was resigned to this sort of pervasive falsehood. And to speak the truth would, would just be, you know, completely impossible about certain things. So I think, but when it comes to politicians in a, in a, in a, a sort of democracy like, like ours, I, I don't take the cynical sort of, you know, pub borderline, all politicians are liars. I don't think they are. I think some may be liars. I think politicians have to learn to uh, to dissimulate, to give false impressions. But on the whole, they, to, to accuse a politician of lying to the House in particular is regarded as a serious matter, to lie to the House. Yes. Yeah, I mean, now what's, <laughs> even in that example, in fact, it's, it's, it's sinful to actually accuse somebody of lying, even though you've got Indeed. the basis of it. So yeah. actually, that's quite paradoxical. You can say yeah. that, yeah. you know, lying yeah. isn't allowed, but at the same time, you're not allowed to accuse somebody of lying. I mean, even our own Jimmy, yeah. Jenny Jones in City Hall the other day was, was threatened to be taken to the standards board but she was able to back up her view that the mayor of london at that point was actually speaking on truth she's not allowed to say it apparently now i think it's important that we don't construe lying as systemic or a necessary condition of politics i think that's very important um there's a a, a branch of utilitarianism called government house utilitarianism yeah, yeah, which is yeah. sort of yes. um a, in the tradition of henry sidgwick yes. sidgwick and yeah. he felt that secrecy within politics is actually necessary because if you gave full information full disclosure to the yes. laity just mm. very elitist mm. mm-hmm. they wouldn't be able to deal with that information or it wouldn't have the desired effect yes. so then you have this sort of privileged position where you can say what is required i.e. the greatest good for the greatest number but it wouldn't work if people sort of tried to work out for themselves but i think that's a mistake again and it undermines and it underestimates the ability of people to judge for themselves and to work out what's in their best interest that's ultimately what's at the heart of this that's the heart of democracy which is that they are voting in accordance with what they take to be their own interest, and that itself has a premium value associated with it. And it's no good you're saying, well, I know better than you. That's part of the problem. But yes. I think there's a difficulty here, because it's, very, it's sometimes very difficult to tell the truth to the people who should be told the truth without also telling it to those who should not be told the truth. So if you take something like the, uh, the nuclear arms race um, in the days of the CND in the 80s, let's say, um, one argument was, well, of course, we would never actually use nuclear weapons. But um, for the bluff to work, we must let the enemy... The potential enemy think we would but then to let the potential enemy think we would we must also let our own people think we would because you couldn't tell the british people one thing we'd never use them whilst letting the soviets think we would use them so here's the problem and to keep it from the people who shouldn't be told it you might have to keep it from the people who should be well i i would suggest that you know these days as in von Klautzwitz saying yeah, about yeah. war is continuation of politics by the means what he really means mm. is is that really the in the in the nuclear age yes. that the real enemy is war itself yeah. and it's not something that you should knowingly counsel yes
Yes, no, I, I would agree with that. We'll, we'll have to, we have to slowly come to a close with our discussion here. Is there any anything you would like to say as a sort of final comment on lying, like it should, it should never be done, or uh, um, you know any recommendations you yeah. you have for us in terms of how we should conduct our decision making in, in lies? Any any sort of quick things? Well, I I, I don't like lying. I hope I don't do it too much, though like most people I probably do it more than I admit. Um, I, I do think there are situations when in some sense it is justified. But I, do, I also believe though in something called a moral remainder. That's to say there might be occasions when it is in some way necessary to do something which leaves a genuine moral residue. So, I mean, there are times when you have to do something that morally stinks. It's just that, you know, you have to, you have to I mean, war, for example, you have to deceive in warfare, just right. as you have to kill in warfare. Okay. I, I think the interesting area here is, is the value of truth, really. It's mm. The practice on the prohibition of on intentional deception is all to do with how much do we value truth. And I think yes. if you go to the deathbed of, of a patient and you say, look, I've got this envelope and I've all this information about how you've actually been living a lie your whole life. You know, your, your partner's been deceiving you, your business partner's been embezzling funds from the company account. Mm. Do you want to know this information? Very interestingly, I think some people, again, would say, in spite of that patient's unpreparedness to open the envelope, and give the lie to their life. You could say that his life has been made worse off in spite of him not wanting to know that information. If you believe that, then it's truth that is of value to you. Okay, that's. I think that's 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 a good good perspective on it. So let's let's focus on the truth and the value of the truth. Um, as always, we'd like to close with uh, you know recommendations that you might have, especially for people in London to do more philosophy. Piers, anything you'd like to recommend? Uh, a lot of philosophy things are going on in London. Um, of course, the no doubt advertised by your August journal, uh, Philosophy Now. There's the London School of Philosophy that I think you're involved with, Shara, and there's also Heathrow College where I work, which runs a number of um, does a number of MA mm. programs in philosophy and religion and theology and ethics. Generally, we've got something coming up in early July on humanism and atheism. So, Brilliant. well, I mean, mm. if people are particularly interested in this topic, there's a, there's a talk going on which I'm giving alongside other colleagues on the summer school at the London School of Philosophy, mm. and that's yeah. on on the um, in the first week of July. You can look at the website and you'll you'll yeah. get information on that. The website is londonschoolofphilosophy.org. Um, as always, I'd, I'd like to recommend uh, Philosophy for All, big London philosophy forum, uh, pfalondon.org, with, with with talks, film club, and all kinds of things that go on philosophical walks. Um, well. Many thanks, uh, Pierre Centrara, for having added to our moral confusion about, uh, uh, about lies. <laughs> uh, our last uh, piece of music is Rebellion Lies by uh, Eckhart Fire. It's goodbye for me, Anja Steinbauer. Um, Grant Bartley will be hosting next week's show, so tune in again. And uh, don't forget to read Philosophy Now. Bye. <laughs>